Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks on Saturday, March 19th, 2011. This is episode 753. Enjoy. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, and all the digital doohickeys that fill our lives. That's what I talk about each and every week at this time. Of course, we're going to watch with interest what's going on in Japan and anything uh, uh, that happens with the reactors we will talk about. Tell you, there's never been in the last uh, week since the uh, horrible uh, earthquake and tsunami in Japan and the events at the nuclear plant there there's never been more need i think for for uh, smart technology reporting it seems like a lot of the information that i've seen it's getting better but it certainly in the first few days the information about uh how those plants work the risks from those plants and so forth um depending on the political point of view of the reporter has really been you know grotesquely misreported either they've said it's worse than it is, or it's better than it is, <laughs> and it's not really clear which is accurate. And I think it's so important. You know, this is part of uh, understanding technology. I mean, you have to look. It's clear that we have an out of control need for power, for electrical power in this country. Ste- job one is to reduce that need. Job two is to find safe, renewable ways to supply the need that remains, a reasonable amount. And step three is in the short term to find at least as safe as possibly uh, enough power for right now. And there's problems with all of it. Coal-fired plants probably kill more people than any other kind of electrical generation and still is probably the most common form of electrical generation in this country. Oil, well, we've seen the problems uh, that getting oil out of the ground can cause. Uh, but now we've seen the problems that nuclear power can also bring. The question is, how bad is it in Japan? And, of course, there is also a great uh, and reasonable interest in how bad could it be here if something bad happens in Japan and we get those first puffs of of uh, radiation across the ocean. My friend Steve Gibson sent me an email with a really just fantastic... There were slides, and I, I'll, I'll figure out if there's some way we can post these slides. Uh, lecture from the University of California, Santa Barbara. It's a... Uh, it's a it's a long URL. It's at ucsb.edu. Maybe if you Googled, the, the professor is a, a guy named Benjamin Morial. And maybe if you Googled his name and the words, how bad is the reactor meltdown in Japan? Because that's the speech he gave. You could find these slides. Uh, or the flash of the slides or the QuickTime movie of the slides. Uh, there's, uh, there's lots of ways to view this lecture. 
Uh, Steve did create a short URL uh, for it, which he twittered on Twitter or tweeted on Twitter. I can. Is that right? <laughs> he sent out on the Twitter. Uh, and I think it's a very interesting um, thing to read and somewhat reassuring. Uh, I could just read from the conclusions uh, of this lecture that uh, Benjamin Montreal gave. He is a professor uh, of physics at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Point one, the worst general public effects of Chernobyl, which is, of course, the worst nuclear disaster in history, were stress and fear and a huge, this is kind of something I'd never heard. I mean, the radiation is very strong still at the site of the Chernobyl uh, disaster. But he said there was a huge education and communication failure. He talks about something called millisieverts, which are a measure of exposure to radiation. And the danger of various levels of millisieverts. And it's his, it's his conclusion, and you can measure it, that the actual amount of radiation received in, by the general population around Chernobyl was not as bad as it sounded. He says, the, my feeling is the worst case, radiation, worst case radiation hazards from Fukushima are mitigable and local and can be handled with evacuation and controls on the uh, I-131 and food. That's the radioactive uh, iodine. He feels that the global, this is important for us here in the States, the global radiation hazard is nil. He says the best way to reduce worldwide low-level radiation releases, stop burning coal. Hmm. He also says, save your energy for those affected by the tsunami and the 50 plant workers at Fukushima. Don't worry about the rest. The exposure will be minor. So that's good news. That's really good news. It's hard to get. It's you know, I think there is. A, I'm not alone. I think there is a problem with scientific education in this country and scientific literacy. So it's hard to get good scientific facts. I I think there's opinion as well, and you should make up your own mind. But you have to do it based on fact and hard facts. And sometimes it's hard to get that, especially from mainstream media. I don't know if my I actually do know, having worked in mainstream media for years. It's not that they are stupid people. Most of them, many of them are very intelligent. It's that they don't think you are very bright. They do not think we are very bright. And so they're very nervous. And I know this because I've done technology coverage in mainstream media for 30 years. They are very nervous about saying big words. They're afraid that people will tune out. They really treat the American populace as a bunch of nitwits. Now, maybe that comes from actual experience. My experience has been, uh, if you act as if people are normally intelligent, maybe they don't, they're not experts in this stuff, but they're intelligent, and you treat them that way, they actually, surprise, are. You treat them like nitwits, they, guess what? <laughs> they act like nitwits. So uh, I, I, I think we need a higher level of discourse around all this. And, uh, and and I would encourage media to, you know, we don't need to dumb it down. I'll never forget doing a show for MSNBC. We did the first, when MSNBC launched in 1995, 96, mid-90s, um, I was a managing technical editor, well, there's a bad title, for a show called The Site, which was a technology show that they did, we did, with the launch of MSNBC. And um, <laughs> I'll never forget the president of NBC News saying to us, I mean, literally holding up his little fingers in a little pinch saying, make it this much smarter or make it this much dumber. And then we'd look at each other and go, well, how much is, how much is this? Much? 
How much is that? And how do you make it this much smarter? <laughs> they always wanted me to, and I, everybody, every time I've worked in tech, technology media coverage in mainstream, is has always wanted me to, whenever I use a word like byte, B-Y-T-E, parenthetically, imagine commas, parenthetically say, every time, byte, the, the I don't know what I, I would say, eight bits, the equivalent of one character on a computer, I don't know what I would say. SATA hard drive, comma, the storage device on your personal computer, comma. I'll try to do that. And I apologize if sometimes when I talk on the show, it goes, it sounds a little technical. I'm trying to make it not jargony. And I try to explain what this stuff is as best I can. But treating you as a normally intelligent person who perhaps just doesn't know the lingo. Every, uh, every, every specialty has lingo, don't they? It's the way we keep the uninitiated, the uninformed in the dark. I'll try not to keep you in the dark. And I just wish, I would love to see uh, higher quality uh, coverage of, of stories that are admittedly very technical like this. Because we need to know, because we as a nation are going to need to make a decision about nuclear power, among other things. And that information really will help us. Not the sensationalism, not the scare tactics, n- nor on the other side, the, oh, it's okay, pay no attention to that. Pay no attention to that nuclear disaster. It's no problem. That's no good either. Give us facts. Let us decide. Give us the information, not the scare. Uh, let's see. iPad 2 has been out for a week now. I'd love to hear your reaction to it. I stand by my initial reaction, and I just want to say this one more time, and I won't belabor it. It's nice. It's great. It's beautiful. It's slim. It's faster. It's got two cameras. Yes, yes, and yes. It is a minor upgrade. If you have an existing, if you're an iPad owner, you do not need to run out and get one. You do not need, it's not that much better. If you don't have an iPad, this might be a good time to get one. But if you already have an iPad, don't feel bad. You're not missing that much. They are selling like crazy. Hard to find them. All right, your call's next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Understand my intention. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Oingo, boingo. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. I, I realized I didn't tell you the number, did I? Somebody must know it because we got a board full of calls, as always. It's always hard to get through, but let me give you the number. 888-827-5536. Easier to remember, 8888-ASK-LEO. They paid a pretty penny for that number, so use it, Pilgrim. 8888-ASK-LEO. Write it down. I'm just going to write it down right now. If you're out of the country, that's toll-free in the U.S., but if you're out of the country, you know, Skype out. Install Skype. Everybody should have Skype, right? Skype out will call toll-free numbers for free. So it should be toll-free anywhere globally in the world. You just have to use Skype if you're outside the U.S. Plus one That's what Greg called from Glendora. Hello, Greg Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Welcome to the show. Hello. How you doing, Leo? I'm great. How are you? 
Oh, I'm struggling. I, I, I got a new problem. You know, I, I mentioned a different problem, but I got a worse one. I got a, I can't reach. <laughs> so wait a minute. In between the time you talked to Aaron on the on the call screener and the time that you got on the air, you came up with a worser problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Your life is not going uphill, is it? Oh, my life's going all the way. Down. <laughs> Now, it's just your digital life. Please do not globalize. What is wrong? What is the problem? Please let me help you, Greg. Oh, thank you. It's uh, Internet Explorer. It won't, it won't allow me to connect to Internet Explorer. Uh, I have a desktop, and I, and I try to connect, and it never connects. It just sits. Okay, that's a, that could be a very bad sign. So, first of all, I need to ask you some questions. Okay. Pretend I, pretend I am your doctor, and I'm asking questions about your symptoms. What version of Windows are you using? What version of Windows? Yeah. This, uh, uh, XP. Yeah, XP. You don't, app, app, off the top of your head, know what version of, of Internet Explorer you're using. Oh, I, I'm trying to think now. I forgot. I can't, I can't visualize it now. Yeah, because, you know, uh, the, the current version, which just came out, and, and I highly recommend everybody upgrade to, is IE9. Nyan. Nyan. If you're running 7 or 8, you're probably okay. But if you are running IE6, Microsoft hates IE6 so much, their own darn product, that they have a site, a countdown, till IE6 goes away forever. They hate it so much. They don't want you to use it. You know why? Because it's so dangerous. And the reason I mention this, and I ask what version of Windows, is if you are still using Internet Explorer 6. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel I, you're just, you're probably eaten alive with bugs. Yeah, it probably is. If you go to, yeah, if you go to IE, this is such a funny site. The fact that Microsoft made this site just blows me away. The IE6 countdown, if you go to IE6countdown.com, it shows, you know, how many people, join the cause, have a website, encourage Internet Explorer 6 users to upgrade. You know why? It's so dangerous. But what's scary is how many countries are using, I, for instance, in China, 34% of all browsers are still IE6. That's why many, 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 many viruses come out of China. Uh, in the U.S., I'm glad to say only 2.9% of users are still using Internet Explorer 6, but that's still 2.9% too many. Even Microsoft says too many. So uh, my, th- my thinking, when your browser stops working, it could just be something's broken. I mean, it could be some software or components broken. Are you able to get your email? No. Can't get no. any. So your internet's, it sounds like your internet's down. Um, no, no, because I got, I tried out a laptop. It, wirelessly, my, it, that works great. Oh, so it's just that machine. Yeah, it's just this machine. Ah, interesting. That even more it leads me to think. It could be uh, an infection. Now, it's possible that that machine, there's something wrong. Like I said, something wrong with the software or maybe they got misconfigured somehow. But but often a, a, a virus, now viruses don't want to take you offline. What they want to do is keep you from going to antivirus sites, updating your antivirus, things like that. But sometimes they're badly written. You know, the guys who write these aren't necessarily the king of the hill programmers. So oftentimes it's badly written and it keeps you offline. It's, you know, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Um, I'm 
I'm going to ask you this. I kind of I kind of have a feeling it's not going to get us anywhere. But have you ever tried Firefox or a different browser? Yeah, I have. I have a Firefox. But oh, good. I have, I have it on on my laptop, not on the desktop. Yeah, and of course now you can't get it because IE won't work. Do you? Do you, uh, Greg? And uh, I guess I should ask you this. You know how the doctor always says, "Do you smoke?" You know, do you drink every day? I mean, you know, they ask you these prophylactic questions. You do. Do you run uh, uh, updates? Do you whenever uh, Microsoft, you know, updates Windows every second Tuesday of the month. Do you do those on a regular basis? Just just like going to church. I do. It God bless you, Greg. God bless you, Greg. OK, now that means that's that actually is very encouraging because oh. the, 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 the most likely way a bad guy gets under your system. See, a bad guy to get on your system has to get you to run his software somehow. And, uh, of course, Windows now will let you know, hey, somebody's trying to run some software and you want to do this. So uh, bad guys really would prefer to do it silently behind the scenes because they don't want to they don't want to, you know, attract your attention. They don't want to raise your suspicions. So they don't they what they try to do is get you to automatically run their software. There's ways to do that. Most of them, all, all of them involve security flaws in Windows. Windows doesn't doesn't design to let you let somebody run a program without letting you know. So. Uh, the security flaws in Windows get patched by Microsoft whenever they're discovered. Of course, as soon as they're patched, Microsoft's letting the bad guys know they exist. That's why it's so important that you apply those patches the minute they're available. So, but you're doing that, so that's good. That means it's un- it's it's less likely anyway that you got bit. You never you didn't see ever a, a warning on your system. Oh my gosh, uh, you've got a bug. Download our free fix and we'll fix it for you. You, you haven't seen one of those, have you? Yeah. Any virus. Have you? Yep. But you haven't said yes. No. Well. Good. Well, I did on one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, hey, I, everybody does once. Yeah, I only did it once. <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. It's only fool me twice that you're in trouble. So, you you know, that could be, those are bad. Those are viruses. When when you see that, the, the, the fact that you're seeing it isn't a virus. It means there's a, you've, you've gone to a site that's got some malicious software on it, pops up that window. That window implies there's something wrong with your system. There's not. What they're trying to get you to do, remember, bad guy has to get you to run a program. They can do it by deceiving you, you know, what they call social engineering. Well, this is social engineering. They say, oh, you've got a virus. Oh, no, we can fix it. Just run our program. It's the run our program that should be a red flag. You don't want to run their program. You don't want to run anybody's program unless you're absolutely sure it came from a good source. So that's their little trick. So, Greg, at this point, I'm a little worried that you might have something on here. Here's what I would suggest. Uh-huh. First step, since you have been updating your computer, that's good. Microsoft, every time it does Patch Tuesday, that second Tuesday of the month, updates something called the Malicious Software Removal Tool. You have it on your computer. I'm going to tell you how to run it right after the break. And then, since you do have a working computer, I'm going to tell you a program you can get that you can run on your non-working computer to see if that helps. Stay tuned. That's coming up. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
Leo Laporte, the tech guy. This portion of the Tech Guy show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazingly low price. Call 866-GET-NET-TO-GET-DSL-EXTREME. We're talking right now with Greg and Glendora, and I'm spending a little extra time on this one because it's such such an important and, frankly, universal issue. His internet stopped working. Now, if it does, if your internet stops working kind of spontaneously, it could just be something's wrong, you know. I mean, frankly, most of the time, something's just, you know, wrong. Software dies, things go bad, and so forth. But it also could be a symptom of something bad having happened to your system. First thing I always ask everybody, do you do Windows updates? He does. So, that, by the way, Greg, that tells me that I know you're not running IE6 because I uh, Inter, uh, Internet Explorer 8 was pushed a while ago by updates. 9 is not yet being pushed by Windows Update, but will soon. You can do it when you launch Internet Explorer now it says, hey, upgrade to 9, and it'll, it'll upgrade to 9. Uh, if we could get you online, I'd probably do that. But I think you're offline. You know, Now, it could be everything from the cable attached to your computer having been gone bad, which can happen, to the settings on the computer being bad and so forth. And if this were a normal tech support call, I would go start going through things like ping and stuff like that. But, hell, heck, nobody wants to hear that. On the radio, I know. nobody. There's, I know you would, and I apologize because uh, you know this isn't really help desk. People, I think it sounds like it's a help desk, but believe me, that would be a terrible radio program. People want to have stuff that's going to help them. So, certainly, one of the things you should do is run MRT right now. Uh, that's the malicious software removal tool. It'll be up to date. Uh, all you have to do is click the start menu. It's there's no icon for it. Why Microsoft doesn't give you a, you know a, a desktop icon so you can just run it? I don't know, but they don't. So click. And by the way, when you down every second Tuesday, it runs it, but it runs it in a very kind of quick scan. They don't want to slow you down. You want to run a thorough scan. So if you go click start run, uh, not everybody will have a run command in their start menu. If you don't, you have to go to the uh, control panels and turn that on. It's a setting for your taskbar, your your start button. Start, run, and then type MRT. Okay. And hit return. That'll launch the malicious software removal tool. It's just MRT, no S. And then do a thorough scan. That's gonna. That's actually surprisingly effective at finding and sometimes removing stuff. If it finds nothing, go, <sighs> If it finds something and can't remove it, which is sometimes the case because bad guys, you know, they, they hang on with their fingernails. Uh, you can go uh, on your working computer to a place called Malwarebytes, B-Y-T-E-S dot org, and download the latest version of Malwarebytes. That you can also uh, then copy over to your desktop and run. That's a scanner like the MRT. It's a little more effective, and it's very effective at removing bad guys uh, that the, the MRT won't remove. If both of them come up clean, no problem. Then it's just a settings issue. That's a little more. That's kind of hard for me to walk through that uh, with you. Um, you know, it could be a whole lot of things, including um, you know, hard drive. This is this is probably the number one cause of computer issues is the fact that hard drives just kind of flake sometimes. Um, in fact, after the first two years, they flake at the rate of eight percent a year, eight percent of the drives existing per year. That means you know, after four years, you know, I don't know, compounded. Do the math. Like a quarter of all hard drives will have failed. So um, that means, and they don't fail all at once necessarily. It'd be great if a hard drive just died. because then. But what really happens is they start to become unreliable or you get bad sectors on it. 
And if the let's this is a scenario that could very well be what's happening to you. The hard drive's fine, except that it developed a bad sector that is an unreadable area right where your critical internet access software lives. You know, Microsoft has, runs a program uh, called the TCP stack for you to access the internet. If that TCP stack loads in from Windows and uh, and it doesn't load, or it loads improperly, or there's an error in it, it just won't work, and you will not ever get on the internet. It could be that simple. Uh, so if so, try MRT. Everybody who's having you know or worried that they're having uh, issues with malware should try MRT. Cl- click start, run MRT, return, then malware bytes. If you have a good antivirus, if you're running Nod32 or another good antivirus, and it's up to date, and you scan and you're clean, then you're fine. Do all of those things, and uh, if everything's clean, then go. Then 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 you have to diagnose the problem elsewhere. But it's always a good idea to to check for malware. From time to time. That's the best I can do for you, Greg. Uh, you can always take your Windows install disk. I hope you have one. This is why I always tell people, don't buy a computer if it doesn't come with a Windows install disk. Really. You're, you you will need one. You will guarantee you. I will. You will need one at some point. Get that Windows install disk. Run it. Go right through it to the about where ready ready to install Windows. And it'll say, whoa, 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 hold on. You got Windows already on there. Would you like me to repair it? And you say, yes, please. That may also be sufficient. Dr. Mom is on the line. Dr. Mom uh, is a regular in our chat room. We just adore her. <laughs> it's nice to see you, Dr. Mom. She Hi, is, Leo. She is, her real name is Lillian Banchik. She is a physician. <laughs> Travels an awful lot because she trains other physicians. And uh, you did a little experiment this week. Right. I had a MacBook Air, which I got last year which I carry around in the hospitals with me to make rounds because I keep a lot of my patient data on Google Docs. Really? Which is per- Do you, well, feel, you per- feel that's secure enough for patient data? Well, the patient's names aren't on it. It's a list of numbers and oh, okay. labs and such. And since it's HTTPS, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. And that meets HIPAA regulations. It is HIPAA compliant. That's interesting. Okay. It's HIPAA, as long as it's HTTPS, we're HIPAA compliant. And then on the air, I do everything in incognito mode in Chrome. So if somebody takes the machine out of my hands they open it back up there's no log on information so this sounds like a good solution well it's great i wanted to get an ipad my sister who's the big mac fanboy in the in the family had one loves it and i I love it i've said many times and i'm sure you've heard me say this is the perfect portable computer it is and it isn't i will tell you i picked one up it's the black 64 at&t I love it. It's wonderful. So I took both of them on the road with me. I was in Houston on Wednesday and then was in D.C. on Thursday, came back home on Friday. So you said so. So let me let me make this uh, make sure I understand. So you like the MacBook Air. It's working for you. But you wanted to see if the iPad 2 would be a functional replacement for a MacBook Air. It's lighter. It's simpler. No keyboard to carry around. That seems like a good idea. And in fact, it seems like the kind of thing I've seen physicians carry around tablets for years. Especially because in our healthcare system, we have an electronic medical record right. that gets to the labs, gets to the X-rays. They're setting it up with an application, so I can use the MacBook Air to walk around. No, sorry, awesome. not the MacBook Air, the iPad to walk around the building, hold this in my hand, get all the patient information because it's web-based. On the fly. Uh, no, it's supposed to be an app of some sort. They're okay. beta testing it right now. So they have an app. They've got an app. They're working. Well, I tried it. Interestingly enough. I find them complementary. One's not going to replace the other. Oh, interesting. Because 
Have you tried using anything on Google Docs, particularly the spreadsheets on the iPad? Yeah. It doesn't work very well. The problem seems to be that the browser, Safari, tells the Google, I'm in mobile mode. Right. And you can't edit very well in mobile mode. It has some very funky things. It doesn't give me the functionality I need. They ju- the fact that it didn't edit at all for a long time. They just, they just added editing. Right. And the editing is weird. If you click on a cell, the entire row lights up. Yeah. And you have drop downs for everything in the row, and that just doesn't work that, very that well. That makes sense. So you need, if you need to edit a Google Doc, I, th- I agree with you. An iPad is probably not an ideal. It certainly will be frustrating. Well, what I like is I ca- I'll carry around the iPad with me as I walk from patient to patient. I can sit there. I can once they get the electronic medical record set up, I can make my notes. I can check labs, look at X-rays and stuff. Then I'll go back to the nurses' station, haul out my air, and do whatever kind of work I need to do. So you do both. I do. Now, what's nice is when I was coming back from Washington, I took the Acela train up, which have you ever ridden the train on I the Northeast border? I love that. I love the Acela. And the it's iPad cool. has why they have Wi-Fi. So the iPad's perfect for that. Well, I didn't use hold, the Wi-Fi. Hold on, Lily, and we got to take a break. Hold on. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I get it. A little musical pun. Do you get it? Ozzy Osbourne, Crazy Train. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We were talking with Dr. Lillian Banchik about her uh, use of an iPad 2 over a MacBook Air. And uh, she was showing us a video she took on the Acela from Washington to uh, New York at 100 miles an hour of the uh, iPad's GPS tracking her in real time. And that arrow just goes whizzing down the road. It's pretty cool. That's really neat. So um, one question I did have, I had to ask you. Well, first of all, let me finish. Let, let, let you finish, uh, Dr. Mom. Um, before the break, <laughs> you were about to tell me something. I don't remember what it was. but I, I think it was just about the GPS, what we talked about okay, during the so break. So it's working very well. Yeah, I, it's certainly usable as a uh, GPS in the car if you don't have one. I use, um, in fact, uh, I use this on the iPhone and the iPad, and I was just, uh, I was just telling one of our chat room uh, members, this is my favorite. This is, you know, there Tom Tom and and others have hundred dollar GPS apps for the iPhone and the iPad, but this one's I think five or six bucks. It's from Motion X GPS Drive. It's the best turn by turn out there, and the reason it's cheap is uh, because it, the maps are Google Maps, so it doesn't. You're not buying expensive maps. You can buy it. You do need to buy the voice for turn by turn, but I think it's only four or five bucks um, a year. There's a subscription for that. It's just, it's really a fantastic uh, program. And because you have the big screen of the iPad, it's the biggest GPS ever. Highly recommend it. 20 bucks a year for the voice turn by turn. So five bucks for the app. And if you want the voice guidance, you pay an additional um, price for that. Two ninety nine for 30 days. So if you knew you like you were on a trip and, uh, you just needed it for a little bit, two ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine, if you want a year. And I actually bought the year. I love it. You could. Oh, the other thing is, you buy it once, and you and you can use it on your iPhone or your iPad, not simultaneously, but you can switch from one to the other. So that's that's pretty nice. Um, I was going to ask you about the use of these kinds of electronics in hospitals because people ask me this all the time. What about germs? 
I think that's a real issue. I mean, we go into patients' rooms now. Anybody who's been to the hospital recently, you see all those dispensers of the alcohol-based hand sanitizers, and you're supposed to sit there. You walk in a room, disinfect your hands. Really? Even, you in the, even the doctors are asked to do that now? Oh, absolutely. We're the ones, if a state inspector's in the building and I walk into a room and don't come out and immediately clean my hands, the hospital gets a fine. Wow. They're very fussy about that. It's very easy to transmit bacteria. Is that because of MRSA? Is that because of staff? Well, MRSA is an issue. There's a couple of bugs, but you don't want to transmit anything. Anything. Yeah. I mean, do, the, the safest place for a sick person to be is home. Absolutely. Because the there's a bunch of sick people in the hospital. <laughs> That's right. I try to get out of there as fast as I can. To me, the big issue is always, I don't think there is a good way to clean these things. No, so you, you can't really squirt have- it with alcohol. That's not going to. No, I think what's probably going to ha- come up is we're going to have a le- like a little Ziploc bag with a, t- a case the covers have put this right. They'll be conductive where you can touch through it. Right. You know, like the, the screens, you, the screen protectors you can put on so you can use your finger and then you're going to rip this thing off and change it in every room. Right. Now that make it expensive. Right. But that's like rubber gloves for your iPad, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Lillian, always great to talk to you. She's Dr. Underscore Mom on uh, the Twitter and in the chat room and everywhere. And uh, and frankly, is our unofficial but very, very helpful medical advisor on all of my programming because we're always, I don't know how it happens, talking about medical stuff and she'll go, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's okay. I was at the in Washington talking to some of the biggest nutritionists in the world. You and I are going to have a long talk about your diet. I would like to because I am okay. on the all meat diet. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. My triglycerides are down. That's that's expected. I'm losing weight. That's but, expected. But 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 that that cholesterol is inching up a little bit. That's expected. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a misapprehension of how the body uses. I, I would love to talk to you more about that. In fact, maybe well, we'll do a special show off the air, off the radio, but on the uh, Twit Network about that because uh, we talk a lot about that. Paul Thorat and I are on this. Basically, it's Atkins. And uh, mm-hmm. are we killing ourselves, Dr. Mom? Is that what's happening? Let's do this off this show. This <laughs> oh, really geez. Okay. 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 Thank you, Dr. Mom. Great to talk to you. Okay. Nice talking to you L- again. Lillian Banchik, she's the greatest and very helpful in many, many ways. Interesting uh, feedback on replacing a MacBook Air with an iPad. I still prefer to have a keyboard, I got to tell you. Uh, for me, I'm a laptop-focused uh, guy, I guess. I love the iPad, but I don't do anything serious with the iPad. For me, the iPad is really an entertainment device. Uh, you know, I play games on it, uh, Netflix, uh, Flipboard for reading the news, but kind of in a lightweight magazine. It replaces People magazine for me, kind of. Uh, and then things like GPS. But I, but uh, if I want to, if I want to write, if I want to uh, do any work, I think it's really a MacBook Air is almost as light and really as comfortable, and has a keyboard. I have to say though, GarageBand. We've been playing with GarageBand a lot on the new iPad too. Unbelievable. On, it's it's better than on the on the Macintosh. It's amazing. Jeremy Waterford, Michigan. Thanks for hanging. Jeremy Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. It's such a wonderful pleasure to talk to you. I've been following you since the uh, tech TV days. How are oh, you? Oh, thank you for calling. I'm great. Um, I had a question about my Droid. I've, I'm actually a PC technician, but I'm very late to the smartphone game. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to throw a plug in there, if there's still time. Um, this is probably an easy question, but I've been on Google for a while and couldn't figure it out. Um, since I'm a PC technician, I drive from place to place, and I have um, MP3s on my phone. And I want to know if there's a way that I can actually switch the songs 
by voice rather than having to wait for a stoplight or something before I could right. MP3. There is it. Uh, it's called voice command, and most Android phones will do voice command. And uh, I believe it's a Google app, actually. And the Google app, uh, the voice command app on Google, does allow you to say next, previous, and call for songs by name, things like that. Oh, that's pretty cool because I've been searching yeah. for a while, and is just seeing even the Droid forums, it couldn't seem to find a direct answer. So maybe I'll just give that a shot. I, don't know if I think it might be. It might be that uh, it's either. I'm not sure. Let me let me check. It's either operating system version specific or it's phone specific google released it's called voice actions for androids google released it the way i do it and i should try it on your phone is you press and hold the search button okay and if you just tap the search button you get the search command but if you press and hold the search button you get voice actions Okay. And the and the voice actions allow you to do things like say next previous. You can actually send text messages, you can send email. I'll I'll literally press and hold it and I say send text to Jim message I'm running late be right there and it works. Oh wow. Yeah. You can view a map, you can navigate, you can say navigate to uh the Grand Canyon and it it will launch Google navigation. You can call with it, of course. That's very important. And by the way, you don't have to call by number. You can call by name. You could say, uh, call Red Hat Pizza, and it'll call Red Hat Pizza. That, that's what I have been doing because I have a Bluetooth. I just hit the side button on my Bluetooth and say, call Jim, and it'll call that person or whatnot. Right, right. If, there, if I could do the same thing with the music, I tried it, and it just didn't seem to really recognize it. I'm pretty sure Next and Previous works, but if it doesn't, you certainly can't. I mean, I'm looking at the Google uh, description, and you can say, listen to an artist, a song, or an album. Okay. Uh, and and uh, you do have to have 2.2 or later, so you have to be updated. Which I do. And then if you go to uh, google.com slash, well, just search for Google Voice Actions or Android Voice Actions, and you can... You'll have to download it to your phone if it's not on there already. I, it's, it was on my phone automatically. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the story is on that. Yeah, okay. I have an old droid, so I'm sure they're not going to port the feature. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's been updated. Yeah, it's got 222 on it right now. Okay, good. You're set then, yeah. So is it okay if I throw in a quick plug? Yeah, what's your plug? Yeah. Um, well, by the way, I'm Jay the Linux guy in the chat room. and I. Um, oh, hi, Jay. Hi. Um, I wrote a book actually using only open source software. I, I wrote it on Libre, excuse me, LibreOffice, which was upgraded from OpenOffice on Arch Linux while listening to music on Amarok. So I did the. <laughs> you didn't even listen to a proprietary music player. Correct. And I so there. <laughs> single dime of my own money spent, and I think it just kind of goes in line with how easy it is to get stuff out there these days. When you see have a you know have to have a book deal, but. Um, the name of the book is Orion Tide. It's spelled O-R-I-O-N-T-I-D-E. And it's available on Kindle as well as um, CreateSpace and print. How fun. I've always wanted to write a science fiction novel. Yeah, it was a really awesome experience. It's a lot shorter than I wanted it to be because I wasn't sure the the, the typed version, how it would actually correlate to the print version, but I think I got it down now. But it might be uh, something your readers or your listeners might be into. If um, This is great. Thing. This is great. It's oriontide.com, O-R-I-O-N-T-I-D-E.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, the print version, the Amazon Kindle version, the Shams Word version, 
all online there. Good for you. I'm going to read it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate You're very welcome. Thank you, Jeremy. In fact, when I come back, I'll tell you about a, a podcast, open source podcast, where they narrate open source books like yours. Leo Laporte, The Tech Guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's time to talk about computers and the internet, yes. But let's not limit it to that. Oh, no, this is the the modern tech guy, the new tech guy. We talk about anything with a chip in it. Computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, all of that stuff. In fact, we're talking about digital photography in just a little bit. One of my favorite, favorite subjects. The phone number, if you'd like to call in with a question, a comment, a suggestion, is 888-827-5536. 8888-ASK-LEO is the number. It's easy to remember. 8888-ASK-LEO, toll-free from anywhere in the U.S. We, uh, I certainly love to hear your impressions of the iPad 2. I have to say, very, 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 very disappointed with the camera. Apple's decision not to put a good camera in this thing means it's really kind of... I don't know. I, I was excited. I thought this, you know, because the camera is so good in the iPhone 4. I mean, really, it's so good. Totally usable as a point-and-shoot. And when you combine that with two things that the iPhone 4 has, one is a, a great array, array of camera software that lets you take pictures you take and modify them, you know, process them. You even can take better pictures. They have, uh, you know, HDR apps and things. And we really could take better pictures and then make them even better, all within the phone. That's great. Add to that the wireless capability, which means those pictures you take can be immediately uploaded, posted for your friends and family to see or saved so that they're never lost. Those That makes this iPhone 4 just perhaps the most compelling point-and-shoot camera. Not as good as, of course, a, you know, a decent point-and-shoot camera is going to give you better images. But it's but it's in your pocket all the time, and it has all that great software, and it's got wireless. And, oh, and I forgot GPS. That makes this a pretty compelling thing. I think that the iPad 2, had it had a camera sensor chip in it as good as the iPhone 4, that's spectacular. It does shoot good quality HD video, 720p HD video. So I think Apple's really focusing in the camera on the iPad is really focusing, there it is on this corner, um, on um, on video. I mean, iMovie built in here means that you can shoot, edit, and post because, of course, it has you know the wireless capability as well, video from it. But maybe they felt, well, it's going to be smarter to use the... Uh, the iPhone 4 for most people because it's smaller and they, you know. I tell you, we're going to do a little experiment. You know, we like to and uh, do this show uh, from uh, the big uh, trade conventions. It's always a lot of fun. The Consumer Electronics Show last week we were at the South by Southwest. April uh, brings just a few months off, a few weeks off, I should say. brings uh, the big National Association of Broadcasters show to Las Vegas. Now, you might say, well, that's for broadcasters. Well, it is, but they will, but they show stuff that's of great interest for all of us, including video cameras, um, still cameras. There's a lot of stuff that any geek <laughs> or aspiring geek or budding geek would be interested in. 
So we're gonna we're gonna be there. I don't think I'll do the radio show from there. It's it's a it's midweek, so I think we just uh, I'll just go out there for our uh, podcast network. But the reason I bring that up is we're gonna try an experiment. There's a company called Owly O W L E that makes a um I, I don't I guess the best way to characterize it is a mount for the iPhone four that turns it into a movie camera. If you go to W A N T O L W L E O W L E wantowly.com. You can see it see it. They call the call it the Bubo. It's this very heavy cast metal uh holder. It has a a special wide angle lens and a microphone. So you take the iPhone 4, you put it in this Bubo. <laughs> terrible name. <laughs> uh and and it's and it becomes a movie camera. And so we're gonna try it. This is be a very interesting experiment. I'm going to go into the convention hall. There are It's as big as CES, thousands of booths, lots of things to see, and shoot short one-minute videos with my iPhone 4, which I'll then bring back and broadcast on the air. And I think the quality of video is good enough, especially with this. Why would you have this booba? Well, it, gives, it makes it a little more steady, and the wide angle means you can get a, a closer-in picture. Uh, the microphone means you get better audio. I think with this, with this rig, I might be able to shoot video. I think it's going to be very good quality video in the field that I can then bring back and broadcast. We'll see. It'll be an interesting uh, experiment. The uh, Bubo is about 150 bucks with all the little doohickeys that come with it, the wide-angle lens and the microphone and everything. So I think, um, I think maybe Apple said, well, we're give it, we got the iPhone 4. Anybody who's you know going to buy an iPad may well or likely will have an iPhone 4 what do they need a good camera on the iPad for? But then my question is, well, why put a camera on the iPad at all? Obviously, the front-facing camera, there's two. The low-quality front-facing camera, they're going to put on there because it makes it possible to do FaceTime and other video calls, and Apple's pushing that. So that makes sense. But why put a back camera on it at all? Maybe Apple decided, oh, we can put a better camera in there, but let's not so that we have something for iPad 3. That bugs me a little, but I understand why they do it. Look, they're a business. They're trying to maximize profits. They, in fact, have a responsibility to their shareholders to maximize profits. They can't ignore profits. So, and this happens, unfortunately, all the time. Technology companies may not release all the innovations they could because they want to sell you one more thing. IBM very famously used to do this in the 50s and 60s with their mainframe computers. They would dribble out the improvements. Because what if, you know, if they if, if Apple shipped an iPad with all of the extra features they could build in today, you'd buy it, and then what would you buy next year? You'd be fine. <laughs> you'd be fine. You'd say, I don't well, I don't need it because it's really good. So Apple, I'm convinced Apple with the iPad 2 said, well, let's not put everything we got, and let's not use our entire arsenal of improvements. Let's save a few for next year. A lot of times tech companies, at least in the last 20 years, haven't done that because they've had this built-in faith that, well, by next year, there will be something even better on the horizon. So we don't have to hold back on innovations. We could just, let's give them everything we got. But, but as IBM did in the 50s and 60s, Apple does today, when you have a monopoly, when you have 80 or 90% of the market, that's when you can say... Look, we don't have to put this out. They're going to buy it anyway. 
We don't have to really improve the iPad. They're going to buy it anyway. Apple is sold out of the iPad 2. It's five weeks before you, can get it, before you can get one. There's no urgency. There's no need for a higher quality display or a better camera. We're doing just fine, thank you. And next year we'll put a little bit more in and then we'll sell another $45 million. The only reason it bugs me, of course, this is their job. They've got to make money. The only reason it bugs me is as a technology enthusiast, as I presume you are, I'd like to see all the innovations now, please. Let's not hold back. If you've invented a light bulb that never burns out, let's make it. You know, that's what people think GE's doing. I'm, I'm sure that's not the case now because, frankly, uh, the incandescent light bulb is almost dead. But, but, but for years, people said, oh, no, GE knows how to make a light bulb that never burns out. They're never going to sell it because then they'd never sell any more light bulbs. Maybe they do. Maybe they, I mean... If you're General Electric and you you know how to make a light bulb that never burns out, do you release it? Guess not, because who would who, <laughs> you kill your market? There's only so many light bulbs you can sell, and when you have everybody who's buying a tablet is buying an iPad, there's only so many iPads you can sell. So if we could make the perfect iPad, maybe we shouldn't, just in case. People say the same thing about batteries, right? Oh, they can make a battery that goes for years, but uh, they won't. Because then you'd never buy another one. I think that I don't believe that with GE. Uh, I don't think there was a perfect light bulb. And I'll tell you right now, because there's not a monopoly in light bulbs in these LED light bulbs, they are making LED light bulbs that last 10 years. They're 100 bucks, but they last 10 years. 8888 Ask Leah. So that's the kind of thing. I think these are the things that are interesting about technology. This is the kind of stuff... I find fascinating. I hope you do too. And if you'd like to talk about it, I'd love to hear from you. 8888-ASK-LEO. I am Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Tech guy here to save you from your technology. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the number, Mike, in New York. How are you? Leo Laporte here. <laughs> Mike, Mike, don't be scared by the music. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Super Leo. What can I do for you, Mike? Well, I have a big question about organizing my pictures. I have a couple questions. I just got a Drobo, thanks to your recommendation, and, and uh, putting all my pictures on there. That's a great – a Drobo, just for people who don't know, is an enclosure that you can put uh, four drives in. Actually, they have bigger Drobos. You can put as many as eight or 12 drives in, and it, it binds them all together to make one super drive, super USB or Firewire drive or iSCSI drive that uh, is uh, great for that kind of backup. Well, and I got the FS version, so I just plugged it into my gigabit router. And Love that. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's but, basically network-attached storage. It's Drobo FS. You, you put it on your network, and now you've got a backup system. It's really a great idea. Yeah, it's wonderful. But two questions on that. One is that, and the big one, our cameras, you know, all have auto-numbering between our, our point-and-shoot, which we have two of, my right. both right. of my phones, 
So they name some of the things the same. And there's been a couple of times when I've gone to move stuff from the iPhone or from an SD card or whatever and overwritten an older photo with the same name that was taken from another camera. So right. I'm wondering what kind of strategy you recommend. What- First of all, that's a failure of the software you're using to back up because uh, synchronization software should be smart enough to say, this is not the same file, but it has the same name. I'm going to create an alternate name. Well, the secret, the uh, software I'm using to back up is me dragging and dropping, so it's my failure. Oh, you're not smart enough. So what I would suggest is, one way to get around this is to use software for the backups. DroboFS has a plugin that will do that, um, but you can also use desktop software like, um, you know, the free Microsoft Sync toy that will be smart enough to say, oh, wait a minute, these aren't the same file, so I'm going to synchronize them with different names. You'd have the same problem on your main drive, wouldn't you? Oh, uh, and I did, but it, you know, I have them like uh, the year slash uh, the month slash the event. Ah, I do that too. I do that too. Yeah. So you are. So one th- another way to do that. Another way to do that would be to have each user have their own folder. So it's you know Tom, Dick, and Harry's pictures. It doesn't have. The problem is you're copying it all into one folder. Yeah. Well, I even had it happen with our iPhones. We got them at the same time, and I literally was copying Thanksgiving photos. We had the same numbers even when I was all the way down to that granularity. so I guess- Let me talk about, this is actually a great subject uh, for people who take, photo- take photos, and it's certainly an issue that professional photographers deal with all the time, if you think about it, because uh, they have multiple cameras, multiple pictures from the same event. They might have name collision. It's called a name collision uh, a lot of times. My friend Peter Krogh wrote a whole book on this subject called the Digital Asset Management Book, or the DAM Book, K-R-O-G-H. If you're a serious photographer, this is a very useful book for solving these problems. Um, the suggestion I make is uh, uh, my, my friend uh, Derek Story, who's a, a great photographer, wrote a blog post on this, is, is changing your workflow. So right now what you're doing is you're just kind of syncing the camera, up, you know, pulling all the pictures off the camera, stuffing them in a folder. Uh, what I would suggest is something a little different. The way I do it is when I attach, first of all, I copy the photos off of the memory at every event. So if I'm taking a wedding picture, wedding pictures, I'll, I'll name a folder. I'll copy the, the, the stuff off the memory onto my hard drive into a folder named, you know, Joe's wedding, December 15th, 2010. Or uh, if I take two different, if I have two different things I've taken pictures of that day, you know, um, the Blarney Stone and Dublin Castle, I'll do two folders, a Dublin Castle folder and a Blarney Stone folder, and I'll copy the pictures manually from the camera into those folders. Then, do you use any software, Picasa or Adobe Photoshop or... Picasa. Picasa. So then when you do the import, so you've got them on, you've got, so now you have one copy, you actually have two copies, you have the original on the camera, you have a copy on your hard drive, that's good, that's your backup immediately. Now you're going to make a third copy. You're going to tell Picasa, I want you to, this is my source, is the copy on the hard drive. I want you to move these into the Picasa library. And I, I'm not sure about Picasa, but I bet uh, all good photo software will at that time give you a renaming capability. Okay. So then you say, oh, this is Mike's camera, dash 2011, dash 03, dash 19. Okay, yeah, that. I like that strategy. 
second- so now you have three copies. Uh, you have the original. You're going to erase that. So that's but the, the the copy that's just in a folder on your hard drive. And I actually, truthfully, I use an external drive. You've got the Drobo, but you you could just use an, a USB external drive for my main photo library. I don't keep it on my hard drive because it just gets so big. It gets it's over overwhelms the hard drive. So I have an external drive attached to my computer because I do this at the desktop. I imagine you do too. But even if you use a laptop, you plug in the external drive. Now you have a copy on your computer, a copy on this external drive, and you and for safety, I'd have an ex, another external drive that at the end of each day or week I will synchronize so the two external drives match, and then I still use Carbonite to back everything up. <laughs> so I and and oh and when I upload pictures, uh, I use SmugMug uh, instead of Flickr as my photo repository. SmugMug gives you the option to save the originals, and I always do that. And this is what Peter Krogh talks about. When you're a wedding photographer and you take a picture of a wedding, you don't want to lose those pictures. They're not going to stage that wedding again. You get one shot, right? So if it's your business, you will never get another job if you lose those pictures. And you'll have a bridezilla to deal with. (laughs) So so they're they're extraordinarily careful. And And another thing, you never delete the originals until you've made sure that the copies are okay. So you're reviewing it in Picasa as it's importing it. You're looking at the thumbnails. You don't erase that memory card until you know you've got a good copy and a good copy of the good copy. Well, Carbonite is the second question. I have a Drobo, and what I use for a file, what it's connected to, uh, it's network storage. But I can't. I tried Carbonite, but I run. A, you can't use Carbonite for that. Exactly. So what's an alternative? Because I loved Carbonite, but it won't work for my network attached storage or my right. Linux box. So. Right. Want to get an offsite backup? So where where right. do I go? Car- Carbonite is really designed. You know, it's it's simple. It's for people who have a laptop and they want to make sure that laptop's protected, or they have a desktop and they want to make sure that t- desktop's protected. You're in a different mode. First of all, you probably have far too much data to do that kind of online backup. Yeah, because um, my FLAC files as well. So I've got a right. If you have a, if you have terabytes of data, don't try to back it up on the internet because it just will take years. So in that case, you still need off-site. That's really important to get it off-site. That's what Carbonite, the idea of Carbonite is, is not next to your computer. But the way you're going to have to get off-site is by taking physical hard drives and bringing them to work. Okay. Getting, you know, bring them to another location. That's your off-site. Because if it's terabytes, now it's easy with a hard drive. You can have a two-terabyte hard drive. You just put it in your pocket, go to work, leave it there. And maybe rotate them or, you know, come up with a scheme so that, uh, you know, you're always keeping them up to date. Okay, well, thanks for your time, Leo. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you. There are higher-end commercial services uh, that are designed to work on Linux and network-attached storage. That's for sure. CrashPlan is a good one. Um, I use Jungle Disk um, uh, on my network-attached storage. Jungle Disk is a program that's ex- it's a little more expensive uh, that will uh, attach your um, uh, backups to Amazon's S3 storage. Now, you pay when, with S3, unlike Carbonite, you pay not only for the amount of data you store, so the more you store, the more it costs, but also the amount of bandwidth you use to upload it. But then you've got a copy. Or SmugMug. As I said, if it's just pictures, SmugMug, that's what they do. They upload it to S3. 8888-ASK-LEO. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
forth, the tech. Kyle's choosing great music. Thank you, Kyle. Lots of fun. 8888 Ask Leo is my phone number. 888-827-5536 if you want to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players. I, is Chris Marquardt in the uh, chat room? I was going to talk to him, but I don't see him in there. Maybe he's not in town. We'll talk. We, if we don't talk to him uh, next hour, we'll talk to him next week. Uh, we do. I do believe we have an assignment, though. If you're if you're a digital photographer, you're interested in digital photography, and you want to get better, the best way to get better take pictures. So what we do uh, with pictures is um, uh, tomorrow. Of course, Chris is tomorrow. This is Saturday. What am I thinking? Well. <laughs> Of course, what am I thinking? What we do is we do assignments. It's not a competition. It's not a contest. It's not, there's no prizes. It's just a way to kind of get out and, you know, have a reason to get out. Now, you need to be on Flickr for this. If you're, if you're serious about photography, you should probably have a Flickr account anyway. F-L-I-C-K-R. It's Flickr without an E dot com. And uh, if, so create an account. If you have a Yahoo account, you already have a Flickr account. It's easy to, easy to, uh, Log in, just log into Yahoo and go to FLICKR.com. And then up at the top, you'll see groups. And you can search for a group. Search for Tech Guy. The Tech Guy group. It's free to join, be a part of. And what's great about it is, is this is where Chris puts his assignments. You'll see my face. It'll say the Tech Guy. 8,215 members. That's great. 2,000 photos. That's wonderful. Here's the group pool right in the front. And if you scroll down, you'll see Orbit Gal has posted our assignment. So uh, I think in a couple of weeks, Chris will start reviewing these pictures and we'll pick some of the most interesting ones to talk about on the radio. Isn't that an interesting idea? Talking about photos on the radio. Hey, what the heck? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wild man. I'm a rebel. Uh, our assignment this time is to illustrate the word or concept reduction. Don't know what that could be. Uh, you, that's what you make of it. I'm not going to tell you what, what kind of reduction. Just reduction. So what you'll do is you take a photo. You can do it one a week. So we don't want you flooding it. We want you to take a bunch, but do go out today. Take a lot of pictures, trying to look for a way to illustrate the word reduction and then upload uh, your favorite. Not all of them, just your favorite every week. And, uh, but you do have to tag it with the word reduction so that we know that this is your entry into the reduction assignment. It's fun. Look, I'm just trying to give you reasons to take pictures. That's why I travel. Frankly, most of the reason I love to travel. I love it. I love the process. I love getting to places and seeing things. And but really, it's all just an excuse to take pictures. <laughs> I take my last trip to South America took almost four thousand pictures, which means I have four thousand pictures sitting on my hard drive. I don't know what the heck to do. Uh, Chris has given me some good advice. If you didn't hear his advice last time, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he gave some good advice. Go back and listen to the shows. Those shows, by the way, the old shows are all available online. If you go to techguylabs.com, that's the website, techguylabs.com. We've got old shows, all the show notes, everything uh, you need to know. If I mention something, James DeRuvo, who is working in the behind the scenes, writing everything down, he'll have it all there. Techguylabs.com. This is episode 753, by the way. 753. All 753 shows will be online there. Uh, we're going to get to our uh, next call in just a, a bit. It's uh, Mike in San Ramon, California. He wants to know about parental control software, how to keep your kids safe online. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But before we do, I do have to talk about Carbonite. We were talking about backing up data with our last caller, and it's so important that you back up. So vital that you back up. 
uh, if you have a super amount of data, yes, there are other solutions. But, you know, well, I'll give you an example. My daughter, off to college, brand new laptop, freshman year. You better believe before she left, I put Carbonite on that laptop. So now whenever she's online, she doesn't have to do anything. It automatically backs up her data. Of course, college these days, there's Wi-Fi in the dorm, Wi-Fi in the library, Wi-Fi at the coffee shop, everywhere you go. It's safe because it's using uh, encryption. It's SSL so that nobody can see what's being backed up. But every time she's online, it just, you know, without slowing down the computer or slowing down the connection, it's very polite. Carbonite just backing that data up, backing it up. So... When the inevitable happens, she loses the laptop, the hard drive dies, or she just accidentally deletes a file, I can say, no, no problem. We got it. I got you covered. All she has to do is go to Carbonite.com, log in. There's her data. She can do it on the iPhone, BlackBerry. They've got smartphone apps. There's her data. She can get it back. She can, If she loses the laptop, go to the library, use the library computer, log on, and she's, she's there. She's good. She's golden. She's going to be able to finish that paper. And she's going to get a good grade, right, Abby? Carbonite.com. Have you tried it yet? Unlimited backup for all the personal data on your internal drive for just $55 a year. It's very affordable. Mac or PC. But I always say try before you buy. And all of our sponsors are great this way. Carbonite will give you two weeks free. Just use my name, Leo. Make sure you make sure it works for you. Carbonite.com. Offer code Leo. If you do decide to buy it, though, we get the one-year subscription. And Carbonite, when you use my name, Leo, will add two months to it for 14 months. Carbonite.com. You got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with Carbonite. Mike San Ramon, thanks for hanging on. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm sorry. Hi, hi Leo. Uh, I'm Leo. You're Mike, I believe. I may be wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> Just teasing you. Just teasing you. What can I do for you? Yeah, thank, thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. Uh, I've been listening to you for a long time, and I'm really a fan of your uh, show. Uh, my question is, uh, I wanted to buy a software for parental controls. Now, through my DSL, ATNT that I have, they do provide, Leo, the parental control tool and also the McAfee antivirus. I don't use, I'll tell you what, I know they offer those for free. Please don't use those. No. So, they're junk. They're junk. That's why they're free. They're junk. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you how to protect your kids. First of all, how old are your kids? Uh, I have a 15-year-old boy and a 9-year-old daughter. The 9-year-old you can protect. The 15-year-old, good luck. Because <laughs> he'll go next door. He'll use his friend's smartphone. If, if, a, if a teenager wants to do bad things online, it's pretty hard to stop him. I will tell you how you can stop him in your home. And, it's, and actually, I use this. Huh? At least I want to do that. You know, stop. Yeah, yeah, do that. But, 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 but I would also encourage you, Mike, it's really important to have the conversation with them. The nine-year-old, too, you do it in different ways with an older kid than a younger kid, but say, talk about what happens online, safety online. Important to talk about them about what they put online because kids, you know, act, they, they go to Facebook, they'll post stuff they, they think is private. It's not. Uh, it's their reputation building. So what their online presence is, is very important. They should keep that in mind, too. And I know it's hard. A 15-year-old has a has mush mind. The not, you'll have more luck with a nine-year-old than the 15-year-old. But but you but you got to have that conversation. Some parents, and I don't think this is a bad idea, have a internet contract. Uh, a lot of schools will, if they offer internet access to the school, about what's what's appropriate behavior. Let them know. Be explicit. This is appropriate for the nine year old. Look, she's probably not intentionally doing anything, you know, online. But she may. It's the nature of the internet. She may run, run into stuff. I'm going to show you how to protect her from most of that stuff. But no matter what kind of protection you, you use, some of that stuff might get by. 
So have that conversation. Look, if you see anything that makes you uncomfortable, if somebody has a conversation that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to talk to me immediately. We need to, we need to talk. I'll keep those lines of communication open. But now here's what I'd recommend. It's not software. Do you use a router? You probably do if you have more than one computer in your house, right? I do. Yeah, this, is, this modifies the DNS system. It's called OpenDNS. This is the best solution. Even your tech-savvy 15-year-old can't get around this. Uh-huh. So this is not software on your computer. Uh-huh. This is changing how your computer works. It's open, O-P-E-N-D-N-S dot com. Okay. You can visit it. A lot of businesses use it. I use it here in my business. I use it at home. Schools use it as well. What it does is it changes the way the internet search works. So when you enter in a name of a website, google.com in your browser, you actually don't go to google.com. You go to a numeric address. Just in the same way when you call somebody on the phone, you don't call Joe. You call his phone number. The computer does that translation automatically. It's called DNS. It looks up the number. Open DNS changes the way your DNS works. So when he tries to go to a site that is dangerous or bad, it says, nope, not going to go there. It's very effective and it's free. Oh, there's plenty of ways to get around it. Actually, I, I mean, the problem, of course, with, with blocking your teen from uh, seeing bad sites on the Internet is, you know what the easy way to get around it is? Go to the neighbor's house. Go to your buddy's house. So, yeah, it's pretty hopeless if you have a teenager. Most of the time, filtering the Internet is, 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 is done for smaller kids and mostly to protect them. Uh, not so much to keep them from doing what they want to do. I am, I, uh, you know, look, I have teenagers. I have a, a daughter, freshman in college, and I have a son who's a sophomore in high school. Um, and my attitude towards uh, controlling their use of the internet has always been pretty laissez-faire and lenient. If you have a kid who's in trouble or getting in trouble, uh, if you have a kid who has problems, then of course these, you know, you have to be much more vigilant. And I, as a parent of teenagers, I will never, ever criticize anybody for their parenting, because I know it's murder. But in general, my thinking is, and you know, I'm also uh, on the on the board of uh, directors of, the, of their school, and I talk about this at their schools too, at their high school. Um, a lot of schools say, "Oh, we're going to block all internet access for kids." In fact, this school, the school that they went to, the high school they go to, gives them laptops, and then says you can't get on Facebook because it's a problem. Kids are on Facebook during class. Well, it's my point of view, and I, I believe this pretty strongly, that that's the wrong approach to take. When kids get out of high school, they're going to have to deal with this at college or, or life. They're going to have to find a way to deal with the distractions of the Internet. They're there for us all. What better time than high school to teach them how to deal with it? And you don't teach them how to deal with it by blocking them. You teach them by teaching them. And it's perfectly okay for a teacher to say, close your laptops. Perfectly okay for a teacher to say, please don't go on Facebook because I, I need your full attention. Believe me, if somebody's distractible, 
<laughs> they don't need a computer. <laughs> My son can get distracted with a metal clip on a pen for hours. So, <laughs> get blocking Facebook, believe me, that's not enough. You'd have to put blinkers on the guy. You, you need to deal with the underlying issue. Blocking Facebook, I think, is, in, is not the solution. And I do believe that it's very important for kids to be on Facebook and learn how to use it appropriately. This is their future. This is their future. We, they're going into a world where Facebook and social networks and communicating over the Internet and learning over the Internet is, is absolutely their world. I just read a great article in the New York Times in which the author said, don't call me. Nobody calls anybody anymore, right? We don't need to. It's Miss Manners said, finally, the phone has always been an interruption, right? The phone is annoying. It rings during dinner, rings when you're doing something else. The person calling you has no idea what you're up to. And thank goodness we've now got texting and we've got mess- email messaging and other forms of messaging, Facebook messaging. We don't need to call each other. Or if we're going to, we say, when's a good time to call? I don't want to bug you. We're more polite with the phone now, aren't we? This is, things change. Teenagers don't spend hours entwined in the phone cord like they did in the movie Bye Bye Birdie. (laughs) And Margaret is, uh, what, in her 70s. This is not, the times have changed. Kids are not calling each other. They're texting each other. They're not even chatting. When When my daughter was in middle school, it was all about instant messaging. Not anymore. It's all about text now. In fact, they say in three years, there will be more text messages exchanged than phone calls exchanged. We're very close to that flipping point. People just don't, you know, they don't make calls anymore. So, Mike, my suggestion is open DNS. If your 15-year-old is determined, he will get around it. There are lots of ways to do that. But it's very, it's actually more difficult doing that because uh, it's, not run, it's not software running on your computer. The minute you have software running on your computer, any kid can get around that. What you'll do is you'll modify your router settings. This website explains how to do it. You will lock down those settings with a password on the router. You will also lock down your control panel in, on your computer with passwords. Most operating systems, Windows and Mac, certainly have parental controls. Not a bad thing to use. There's a kind of control that I like. There's two ways of controlling what people see on the Internet. One is a blacklist. This is of very limited use. Those are, it's a list of sites that they can't go to. The problem is site names change all the time. No blacklist is 100% complete. And often, blacklists block sites that are fine, especially if they're automated. So a blacklist site will, will block a kid from visiting a breast cancer awareness site because it has the word breast in it. But it's not a porn site. It's actually a valuable informational site. That's very common with blacklists. The other way to do it is whitelists. Whitelists aren't good for teenagers, but they're great for little kids. A whitelist is a list of sites that the only sites that can be visited. In other words, with, a, with, an, with an eight-year-old, there are probably only four sites that she wants to visit. You could put those sites in. Whitelisting is great for little kids. Good for email, too. Email whitelists. Only grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad can send you email. Oh, I love that. So the kid gets to use email, learn about email, but you don't ever have to worry about spam or strangers or anything. So whitelisting for younger kids is great. By the way, OpenDNS does support whitelisting. 
So there's certainly there's certainly solutions, but none of them are a replacement for obviously parental supervision and conversation and teaching. That's that's most important. But I've I will never I will never criticize a parent, especially a parent of teens, for using any tool at their disposal. And you know what? We're doomed anyway. <laughs> We're not gonna win. Let me briefly uh, talk about our uh, good friends at Nod32. This is a, a must-have. The uh, ESET makes this great antivirus for Windows and Macintosh. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. And then when we come back, Kevin, he's in Richmond, and he can't get an update on Windows 7, which is too bad because, uh, well, it's kind of important. I'll help you do that, Kevin, in just a second. You've got, you've got blocked update-itis. can be very painful. But before I do, I'd love to tell you about Nod32. It's the world's best antivirus for Windows. Now for Mac, too. ESET, the company that makes Nod32, makes cybersecurity for the Mac. In both cases, lightweight. They don't slow your system down, but the best, most effective solution out there. Really great. In fact, uh, I, I tell everyone who uses Windows, get Nod32. Yeah, they're free solutions. In fact, there's good free solutions from Microsoft. But spend a few bucks for the best. Really makes a difference. Nod32. Uh, CNET gave it five out of five stars, picked it as their editor's choice. The prestigious third-party virus bulletin said Nod32 hasn't missed a virus in the wild in 10 years. Same great antivirus engine, same great lightweight speed and effectiveness available on the Mac now with cybersecurity for the Mac. And this is something they put on the Mac version. I hope they put on the Windows version soon. An educational component. It, uh, it t- teaches you how to behave on the Internet for safety. That's, frankly more important than the antivirus. The antivirus is your backup, but what you do, you can absolutely do things that will override the antivirus. So this tells you what not to do. I think these are great. If you want to try the PC version for 30 days, go to eset.com slash Leo or call 866-935-ESET. For the Mac version, 30-day free trial, eset.com slash Mac. If you use Windows or Mac, You need Nod32. Kevin, Richmond, Virginia, thanks for hanging on. Kevin, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Thank you for taking my call, Leo. I appreciate your time. Well, it's great to hear from you. What can I do for you? I got a Dell computer. It's running Windows 7, but it has not updated. It will not update. It hasn't done it since I bought it. Oh, that's not good. No, not at all. In all likelihood, there is a, a blocked update. In other words, if, if one update doesn't complete and gets stuck, then it stops. The funny thing is it, it, it will go out and it will search for updates, but the, that search will last for three, four, five hours, and it just... Sits oh, that's there. not right either. It should happen literally in seconds. No. So maybe there's something even more significantly wrong. The funny thing, I did call Dell Tech Support. And they said I had a virus, and I put Nod32 on the machine. Nod32 came up clean, nothing wrong with it. Good. You don't have a virus. They were right to say, or I don't know if they were correct in their assessment, but that is often the reason why you can't update. Understand, a a malware author has certain things they don't want you to do. They don't want you to download an antivirus. The fact that you were downloaded and able to install Nod32 pretty much precludes this. Um, They don't want you to go to uh, antivirus research sites like sarc.com and they don't want you to do windows updates all of those things will inhibit their ability to protect to get on your system they'll protect you so that was a reasonable thing for dell to say however they didn't dig very deeply no they didn't <laughs> and, <laughs> it was just, just kind of like i told them the problem and they said instantly you have a virus 
Yeah. I'm a little concerned, and I'm actually a little angry at them, because it's their problem because it never updated, right? Never at all. So it's the way the computer came. I'm going to put a link in our show notes at techguylabs.com for how to reset your updates. But there might be something more serious wrong. Let's talk when we get back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, <laughs> all that digital stuff. The digital doohickeys that invade our lives. My phone number is 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-827-5536. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S., outside the U.S., still toll free if you use Skype out. We're going to get back to our call in just a second with Kevin. He's got a brand new Windows 7 machine that will not... Do updates, and I'll tell you why it's really important that you fix this, and maybe some ways to fix it. But I have to mention that tonight we will be mooned. You know about that, right? The super moon? Have they talked about that yet? And you're, uh, oh yeah, we are closer to the moon than we've been in 18 years. It's a, uh, it's a, per- a super perigee. So the moon will be notice should be noticeably larger, like 15 percent larger than usual. According to NASA Science News, full moons vary in size because of the oval shape of the moon's orbit. It is an ellipse with one side, perigee, about 50,000 kilometers closer to the Earth than the other, apogee. I love space talk. So uh, nearby perigee moons, like tonight, are about 14% bigger and, ooh, I like this, 30% brighter. So if you're one of those people... That thinks that uh, things go nuts during a full moon. This is the night. Tonight's the night. The full moon uh, tonight occurs about an hour away from perigee. In other words, it's full, very close to the time when it's closest to the Earth. That only happens about every 18 years or so. Might see higher tides, maybe uh, six, six inches higher. But you will see a bigger moon. And, uh, And finally... This article says, and although the moon, as it rises, might seem close enough to touch, it's still 356,577 kilometers away, so don't. Should be fun. By the way, Dr. Mom, we talked to her a couple hours ago, works in a, in a hospital. She says, it actually is true, the ER goes nuts. She says, though, the worst full moon is on a Friday night, which is payday. She said, you don't want to work the ER Friday night on a payday. Kevin and Richmond, thanks for hanging on. So uh, there, there's a couple of possibilities. I think Dell uh, was wrong. Obviously, they were because you then ran some antivirus tests and there was no malware. No, there was no. It never updated even when you first got the computer? We, we got it. We set it up. Plugged into the Internet. Nothing. Just mm. sat there. So that's really not good. And I'll tell you, I know you know this, otherwise you wouldn't have called. The reason it's not good is because 
those updates are essentially an announcement to the bad guys that there's something wrong with Windows. Come on, guys, attack us here. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so uh, the bad guys can't attack people who update, but if you don't update after an update goes out, you are vulnerable. And if you haven't had an update in how long? Months? Uh, two, three months. <laughs> now, I think the one you want, really, there's uh, Windows 7 has a service pack. It just came out, service pack one. That If you can download that standalone and run it, that would be great. And there is a way to do that. You just Google uh, Windows 7 Service Pack 1 okay. on micro- and probably go on Microsoft.com. And you, you can download that standalone. You can also use Windows. I think there's something wrong with Windows Update because it shouldn't take hours to find updates. There's something wrong there. That's, by the way, why Dell said, oh, you have a bad guy on there. Because the, the, the Windows Update ran, but it just didn't find updates. That's exactly what would happen if malware was on there. So I mean, even I, I mean, we ran all the tools, you know. The yeah, I, I don't think you have anything, but yeah. uh, but if you look at your Windows update on the left hand side, you can get the, the catalog of updates. It's blank. <laughs> it's blank. It's blank. <laughs> okay, now I know why Dell said you have a bad guy. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. You should that should not be blank. I'm going to send you, okay, go to support.microsoft.com. Okay. And there is a knowledge, that's the Microsoft knowledge base. I, I commend Microsoft. They put online all of the tech support articles. You don't really need to call Microsoft support because really all they're going to do is what you're about to do, which is go to support.microsoft.com, and you're going to search for article 971058. Eight. Everybody should make a note of this because th- if this happens, you want to unblock these. They're blocked. Nine seven one zero five eight. The article uh, title is, and you could always search for that too. How do I reset Windows Update components? Okay. That's, now, that's this is exactly what you need to do. And the good news is, Microsoft has these little registry fix it buttons here. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the <coughs> excuse me. I swallowed something wrong. I'm, let me have a drink here. If you scroll down, you'll see what this update does. You could do it manually in the section that says, let me fix it myself. Once you read that, you'll go, oh boy, oh boy. There's a lot of stuff you have to change and fix and modify, but this update does it all by itself. So you'll you'll click the button that says fix it, and they say the solution has two modes, default and aggressive. Run the default mode first, see if it solves it, and if not, the aggressive mode. Okay. If that doesn't fix it, then, then, you, then you need to call uh, uh, Dell again and and say no i want to talk to your supervisor you want to get upgrade up up you know upgraded in your support you want to go to the next level up okay. <clears throat> and and when once you explain what you've done i think that they will do that oh okay um we have like one of those restore discs should should we use that or well that's what they'll make you do eventually oh <laughs> and you don't want to do that cuz you're going to lose everything you've done right so if you do it make sure you back up all the data any documents whatever but that well, see, this is the thing. The restore disk puts it back to the way it came from the factory. Yeah, and I was thinking that wouldn't really help much. <laughs> well, I don't know what's wrong. It depends what's wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 your last resort. So this is this is what I would do. Okay. I would I would try that fix it button first. If that does not fix it, back up your data and run the exactly what you said. Do the restore. That what that does is erases the drive and puts the original software that came with the Dell on it. They'll make you do that in tech support anyway, because they don't they don't know what you've changed. Right. 
So they want to have a known, you know, a known system state. So the, so they say, well, put it back to the way it was when you got it. And the way they do that is with that disk. Okay. okay. Hey, thanks for the call. Do you like a good thing for that? Pardon me? Would Carbonite be a good solution to back up all our all the stuff? It'll be too slow because it's going to trickle it over the internet and you want to do it now. So I just, you know, it's a good thing to have an external hard drive anyway. If you don't have one, uh, just run out there under 100 bucks. Okay. Plug it in via USB and just you just drag your documents folders over and all that stuff. All right. Well, thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great day. Yeah. That's a good, <clears throat> you too, if you can. That's a good uh, tech support article to keep around. In fact, I'm going to keep it around because we get this call fairly frequently. Sometimes what happens is you, you do a Windows update. I don't think this happened to him, but you do a Windows update and one of the updates just goes, <coughs> I, can't, <coughs> I can't go on and stops. Sometimes you'll know this is happening because every time you reboot Windows, it says installing update uh, uh, and then never gets anywhere. So what you need to do is kind of unblock it. And that's what this one of the things, one of the many things this fix does is it kind of unclogs the system. John San Angelo, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. San Angelo, California? Uh, San Angelo, Texas, Leo. Texas, of course. What am I thinking? Yeah, I love your show. I listen to you every Saturday and Sunday. Thank you. Just back from Texas myself. We had a great time in Austin. You should have stopped by and said hello. Dang. How far is San Angelo? <laughs> About a four-hour drive. Oh, okay. <laughs> we had people. It's so fun. We had people from all over the Southeast come to that event. It was so much fun meeting everybody, and uh, and we had a great time. But next time, I'll come see you, John. Okay. <laughs> what can I do for you today? I'm, I'm trying to access Netflix through my Windows Media Center. And until yesterday, it was working fine. But now when I try, I get a prompt that says there's a problem retrieving the data and to verify my Internet connection is working. Well, my Internet, my internet connection is working. And I only have this. Oh, boy. <clears throat> you know, John, I don't. there's so many things that could cause this. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Maybe somebody in the chat room will give me some, uh, some guidance. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars up above in your eyes. A super moon. A fabulous night to make romance need the cover of October's sky. A super moon moon dance, says Kyle. <laughs> Again, uh, the, the biggest moon in 18 years will be hanging right over you this, today. I hope it's clear. You know, it's, it's rainy here in Northern California. We may not see that full moon. <clears throat> I'd love to. I'd love to. They, they say the best time to see it of course is as it's rising and there's you know there's there always that apparent thing because it's, as it's close to the horizon and close to the houses and so forth it looks gigantic doesn't it and then it gets up in the sky it doesn't look so big it's no it's not bigger it's just relatively bigger there is a way you can make that happen i'm told by bending over and looking at the moon through your legs <clears throat> i'm that sounds like a joke i mean it this portion of the Tech Guy is brought to you by, and they're sure embarrassed, DSL Extreme, my internet service provider. Call 866, the number two, get net to get DSL Extreme. No, seriously. <laughs> See, the <laughs> maybe I was being, uh, maybe I was being punked when they told me, the, the person who told me this, I, he was an astronomer. <clears throat> he said, <laughs> he said, 
you know, the the angular, the 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 angle, the size of the moon is the same whether it's on the horizon or up in the sky. It, it's it feels bigger on the horizon because there's you know scenery. <clears throat> so what you're <laughs> to prove this to yourself, of course, you could just measure it, you know, cover it with a quarter or whatever, and see if it does the same thing at any and it will. But the other way you could do it is when the moon is hanging high in the sky is you can bend over and look at it through your life. No, I have not. I'm going to stop right here. Sarah in uh, Georgia. Hi, Sarah. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for calling, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I have a question about updating my recent update to the iPhone. I'm on uh, 4.3 now, and my camera... You know, I, I took, I love the iPhone camera. I took it to Italy and photographed Florence, and, and the photographs came out beautifully. But Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this is almost as good as, a, a you know, a Canon point-and-shoot. It really is, and, and it's, you know, it's a selling, it's a true selling point for the device, is you can get viable, workable photos from that filter. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not feeling this the HDR settings and, and the right times for the individual photographs are exponentially longer, even with HDR turned off. Um, okay. I mean, there are a couple of things here. First of all, it is a higher quality. Uh, when you say higher, higher than the previous version of the operating system? Yes, I actually went from 4.1 to 4.3. And, you know, there's a marked difference in how fast the photos right even on an empty iphone you know i've cleaned it out and backed all my stuff up but um yeah the, it seems slower than it was before and it is this just an instance of you know the hardware is only as good as the software running it am i the- yeah, this is this is really uh interesting i mean um 4.3 believe it or not is supposed to make everything faster that's my understanding. And, and yeah and generally that's the intent you know when apple updates the operating system they they write it more efficiently if they can and so forth. Um, one of our chatters, Jason, in the chat room says he's seeing the same thing. I haven't, um, I didn't notice that, but I maybe I'll take a look at, uh, at that. Um, I'm, I'm looking now on the Internet. Have you seen uh, people complain about it? N- not, in, not in vocal majority. Um, I seem to be the minority here, and I understand rolling back to a previous OS is very, if not impossible, is very tricky to do. And I'm just yeah. prepared to endeavor that at this point. I would love to get back the camera function that I know. Right. I'm at a standstill. Yeah. Um, here's an article on um, iPhone-my.com that says, why does iOS 4.3 run Home screen web apps two times slower. We have noticed that, and a lot of people have noticed that web apps run slower. Uh, and people think there's a conspiracy theory that uh, Apple is doing this because they want to deprecate web apps and encourage, uh, you know, standalone apps. But I haven't seen anything. I'm looking for uh, for other uh, links that say that people are having trouble with a phone. Here's what I would suggest. It might be local to you. A couple of good couple of good things you can do. First of all. App. If you have an Apple store nearby, they they make an appointment and go to the genius and say, "What's wrong?" Half the time, they'll give you a new phone. I mean, they're really amazing with their support. This is something Apple has decided is is priority for uh, their stores, and they do a great job. But before you even do that, one thing I would try to do is back up your phone and restore. 
you did a restore in effect when you put iOS 4.3 on. Yes. In fact, I <clears throat> did it twice because it, it was such a marked change. Um, I, I completely wiped and restored with the clean operating system from scratch, you know, and I had to, I had to reinstall everything, but, uh, I, oh, so you have done that, and it's still slow. No, no, uh, <clears throat> So you did a restore as new. You didn't say restore from a previous backup. Brand spanking new. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then there is something wrong, and I don't, you know, I haven't noticed slower. Um, it is an iPhone 4. It's not a 3GS. It's an up-to-date iPhone. Uh, let me take a picture and see. I, I, you know, I have noticed that to get sometimes to get to the picture is slower. I'm wondering if there, you have something. No, that was fast. That was fast. I'll, I'm, let me try another one. I'll I'll start from scratch. Uh, press the camera launch button. I can do it actually. Uh, let's see. Press the camera launch button. One thousand one. One thousand two. One thousand three. That's it's always been pretty slow getting to the point where you can take a picture. Now I'll take the picture. Press the button. One one thousand two one thousand three. It's done. A couple of seconds. That's pretty quick. Is it taking more than a second or two to do that? Well, I, I will say on four point one before I updated, it was instantaneous. It went right down into the file, into the folder. So yeah, it does that little? It does that little. Whoosh. Real quick. Look at it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you've got some stuff running in the background that's slowing down the phone itself. You know how you can look at what's running in the background by double tapping the home button, and that'll put up, pull up uh, all a little scroll bar at the bottom of all the programs. Most of these, by the way, are not running; they're just still there, you know, because Apple will time out the programs. But here's what I would suggest trying, just to see if this speeds things up: is press and hold, do do that double tap till you get the the bar at the bottom of all the running applications, and press and hold it till they start jiggle, 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 and then. Tap the minus. What you're effectively doing is closing all these apps for real. I mean, you're just taking them out of memory. This does two things. It frees up all the possible available RAM, and it makes sure that nothing is using CPU cycles in the background. I wasn't crazy about the idea of going to multitasking, to be honest. I know everybody demanded this of Apple, but the problem with multitasking is that these limited resources in smartphones, in terms of RAM and processor, can be taxed by having more than one thing going on at once. So, the another way to do this, you don't actually, somebody's pointing out in the chat room, you know, you could just turn it off and on again. Oh, yeah, that'll do it, too. <laughs> another way to do it? Well, yeah, yeah, just turn it, I mean, when I say off, turn it all the way off. So, you know, you press and hold the top button until it says slide to turn off. That's a full power down. Have you tried that? Does that improve the camera speed? No, no, I took it to Flower and Garden Festival and got, you know, just really frustrated. But, um... I think what's wrong probably is the uh, flash RAM in your phone is flaky, and I think Apple should replace it. Bring it to the Apple store. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. The year is 2029. The machines will convince us that they are conscious, that they have their own agenda worthy of our respect. They'll embody human qualities. They'll claim to be human, and we'll believe them. Well, it's good to know that you'll be okay. I've been waiting for this, and I'll be there to sit while you pray. And no one's blaming. 
Guys Show brought to you by Carbonite.com. Backup done right. you got to back it up to get it back, so try Carbonite. It's free for two weeks. Just go to Carbonite.com. Offer code LEO. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We're talking about computers and the Internet and cell phones and camcorders. We had our, our last caller uh, with a with weird problem. She says she upgraded her iPhone 4 to iOS 4.3, which, by the way, doesn't really add a lot of functionality, i got to tell you, on the iPhone. It's, it's mostly designed for the iPad, I think. Uh, you can, and and, and it's, it's hard to go backwards if you've upgraded it. She says it's fine, except her camera is much slower. Now, I've been playing with my iPhone 4 with the latest version of iOS, and it's not slower. It's the same for me. Not faster, but it's the same for me. So I'm trying to think, what could be going on? So I have a couple of hypotheses. She says it's particularly slow writing to the drive. Now, of course, if you turn off this HDR recording, that will speed it up. HDR, when it's on, will record two images. So it's going to take twice as long to save an image. It's got to save two pictures. And in fact, I think it probably does even a little more trying to merge the two. But if you tap the HDR off button and take a picture on my iPhone 4, it's literally just a couple of seconds between snap and save and ready for the next one. It's perfectly fast, certainly fast enough. So she's, I I would guess, slower than this, unless she's particularly impatient. I don't think she is. Uh, And she says it got slower because uh, when she updated. So a couple of thoughts. One is, of course, it's saving it to flash RAM. And if you've got bad flash RAM, it could be that that's why it's so slow. And that's something you cannot fix. She's done the the one thing I would recommend, which is to restore the phone uh, from scratch. In other words, erase all the flash RAM and and rewrite everything on it. And that that didn't fix it. So I'm thinking either there's something wrong with the flash RAM and she has to bring it back to Apple. Could be there. Now, this is a weird off, uh, strange idea. It could be there's a little schmutz. Is <laughs> a little schmutz on the lens there. Maybe the autofocus is taking a while because the lens itself is blurry. Could that be? Um. The other thing that somebody in the chat room is suggesting is there are other third-party camera apps that might be faster. For instance, Camera Plus, my friend Lisa Bettany created this. Um, it's a little slower to launch because you're launching an app, but when it takes pictures, it's very fast. So maybe if you, instead of using um, the built-in camera app, you use a different camera app, like Camera Plus. See if you get better results there. If Camera Plus is slow then there is probably something wrong with the phone. Camera Plus has some nice additional features, too. I mean, it's a really great uh, camera. So try I would try using another camera app. There are others uh, in the market as well, but can't, you might as, Camera Plus isn't free, but it's fantastic. Um, this is ClearCam. Let's see how fast this one is. Uh, ClearCam gives you two ways of taking pictures, clear or enhanced, but let's just see. Oh, actually, that takes longer because it's waiting for you to hold the camera steady. It takes... This actually takes four pictures and saves the clearest. Is that funny or what? So the idea of ClearCam is we all have shaky hands with this little phone. So use ClearCam. It will take four images and save the one that's in best focus. And, and Crazy, man. Crazy. I think there's, it's possible there's schmutz on the lens. Clean it off. Um, other than that, if it's really slow, it's got to be something wrong with the phone. By the way, Camera Plus is Camera Plus sign, not spelled out plus. There is another app. That's spelled out. I'm talking about the one that's C-A-M-E-R-A and the plus sign. Leo Laporte, the uh, tech guy. Uh, Sam is in Tustin, California, our next caller. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the show. Hi, Leo. How are you? I'm great. 
good. I have a problem I'm hoping you can help me with. I've got something nasty on my computer that's not letting me open any of my applications. Wow, this is a can't open, can't internet, can't do anything day, can't update day. And, and of course, the first thing you suspect immediately is malware. Uh, you, in fact, I know have malware. You have a blackmail application on your system. Does it pop up a message saying, oh, there's something wrong with your system, but pay us forty nine ninety five, we'll fix it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's that's bad. <laughs> this is this is the latest scam, and it's just a terrible scam. So what happened to you is a pop-up from a website showed up on your system and says you've got malware. Yes. And you ran their fix. No. And well, at some point something got run. Okay. And and it put it actually put malware on there. And that malware now has locked out locked you out of your system. You can run it, but you can't run any programs until you pay them their blackmail basically. It's a it's a protection racket. So whatever you do, don't pay them. Nobody listening should pay them. There are ways to fix this. One is called Combo Fix. If you just Google C-O-M-B-O-F-I-X, I think it's combofix.org. It's a spyware remover. And it is it particularly aims at this particular spyware. And it's free. Good. I like that. Yeah. Uh, there's also Malwarebytes, malwarebytes.org, B-Y-T-E-S. Uh, both of these are removal tools that are free. Um, and uh, one of these will in all likelihood uh, fix your system. Do not pay them money. For one thing, even if, you know, first of all, you're encouraging this behavior, which is highly illegal and wrong. Uh, the other thing... Um, uh, uh, probably more significant is who who's to say they got rid of everything they probably didn't if I were them I would make sure that I left something behind that makes sense yep combo fix uh, I'm being told by our chat room is maybe a little tricky for those who are not experts you could mess up your system and this is true of any malware remover maybe try malware bytes first I know I think that's safer M-A-L-W-A-R-E-B-Y-T-E-S dot org. Do not get it from other sites because, of course, bad guys make a program called Malware Bytes. That's malware. These guys stink. <laughs> they really are bad. And uh, again, just to underscore this, the way, the way a bad guy gets in your system is he gets you to run his software. There, actually, there's another way. Well, always, 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 he's got to get you to run a program. They either do it by by tricking you, by saying, hey, you've got spyware, uh, but I could fix that if you download this program. You run it, and of course, it is spyware. That's one way to do it, tricking you. Yeah, you you ran his program, didn't you? Or attaching a program to an email that looks like it's just a picture. You double-click it, the program runs, it's all over. The other way to do it is to try to do it without your noticing, by taking advantages of flaws in the operating system. It's not unusual for bugs in the operating system to be taken advantage of. Maybe not even in the operating system. Most recently, bugs in Adobe Flash and Adobe Reader. They send you a badly, uh, a, a cleverly designed Flash file on a website or a cleverly designed PDF file on a website. And when it runs, it takes advantage of the flaw 
in the Adobe software to infect you. Both of those things are bad. So they either have to trick you into running their own program or uh, take advantage of flaws. This is why it's so important to update. I'm sorry, Sam. I wish I had better news for you. If if you can't get rid of it, then you're going to have to reinstall. Dick T. Bartolo, the Gizwiz, is coming up at 47 after the hour with our gadget of the day. But meanwhile, Jim in Irvine, California. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo. Hey, Jim. I'm great. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I'm a longtime listener, first-time uh, caller. Well, I love that. Thank you. Uh, glad you found us. Yes. I've got uh, XP with uh, Service Pack 3, and about three weeks ago, I got the uh, blue screen of death, so I loaded my uh, uh, CD and did the repair where it erased files and reinstalled files. It gives you the 39-minute window where it reinstalls everything, and since I put that back on, I cannot do Windows Update. Ah, hang on. I'll tell you the place to go. Leo Laporte. The Tech Guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO's the number. Winding down, though, uh, today. Don't forget to watch that big moon in the sky. And speaking of big moons, <laughs> here he is, Dick Bartolo, The Gizwiz! <laughs> hey, Leo. Hi, Dick. How are you? I'm super fine. So, um... Tell me, my friend, you got a gadget for us? Dick, I should explain, is Mad Magazine's maddest writer. Uh, he has a great website, gizwiz.biz, and uh, joins us every week to talk about gadgets. He's also uh, the host of our brand new podcast, The Weekly Daily Gizwiz. Yes, we're doing that, right? Because uh, Lisa wanted to do the monthly Weekly Daily Gizwiz. No, I think I weekly said, no, is probably we're- sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to cut you back that much, Dick. <laughs> So what's uh, what's your gadget today? Our gadget today is something we talked about on a Daily Gizwiz show, and I think you may have ordered one as we talked about it. I had a guest in the studio. He ordered one as we talked about it. I probably did. I always do that. Right. Well, it's from Skosh. It's actually two different devices. The Flip Sync Keychain UBS Charging Devices. The Flip so, Sync uh, Keychain you, USB Charging Device. Good Lord, that's a you long You order name. one... Uh, I think I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're the size of uh, the little alarm button on your keychain for your car, except on one of them, when you pull down on one side, there's the 30 pin iPod connector. And on the other side is a little USB connector. Isn't that clever? So in that tiny little package, you can carry that on your keychain if you want. And then there's the second version is USB on one end, and on the other end is both a micro USB and a mini USB. So that's the FlipSync that, 2. 
That's, yes, exactly. And these guys, now someone wrote me and said, what are you talking about $10? They want $20 here. So it turns out he was in Canada. So, well, you know who else wants 20 bucks? Apple sells it in their store and they want 20 bucks too. So don't buy it from Apple. Who should you buy it from? Well, you know, I did a web search and, and uh, Amazon came up with five different places that was selling it between $9.99 and $12. So you don't want to pay the 20-buck list price. But uh, I'm going to throw these in my uh, little travel bag because you don't have to worry that you left those big, long cables home. Uh, because especially the little USB to the to the micro and the mini. Everybody uses micro now. That's the kind of the flatter of the two. And that seems to be, well, I'll tell you one reason. Um, the uh, European Union is now requiring all cell phones support micro USB charging. So all the new cell phones are micro USB, which, which except it, for Apple, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And then they go, let's do 30 pins. Let's do 30 yeah, pins. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's too too small. So yes. if that's why I almost don't feel like I need both. I really, if I, I just had the micro, I'd be happy. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, okay. I'll, I'll take the mini. Yeah. Well, you know, I, every once in a while I have a, an old gadget that uh, requires, I think my sense of view still uses the old uh, um, uh, micro, not the mini. Right. So. Right. They're, they're, so I, I think they're phasing those, was, those guys out though. For 10 bucks. Well, you're on the cutting edge, so. <laughs> Dick's website is gizwiz.biz. You have a great contest there called What the Heck Is It? A Chance to Win an Autographed Copy of Mad Magazine. And we've started it for March. We started a new What the Heck Is It? game. This is a this is a tough one. Although, you know, the, the best ones are ones where you're pretty sure you know what it is, but you're wrong. And this is this one's like that. Yes. I, I look yes. at it and I go, oh, I know what that is, but I don't think I don't know if I'm right. You're so tricksy. Well, that's the object, pal. Yeah. What do you want me to do? Just give away meds? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think I know what that is. It looks like a flying saucer, but uh, I think I know what that is. But uh, oh, well, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. You know, I can't remember. Have you ever gotten any of them absolutely correct? Yes, once. Many okay. moons ago, I think. Okay, yeah, the, the pencil sharpener. <laughs> yeah. I never should have left all those little shavings in the picture. <laughs> I knew what that was. If you go to gizwiz.biz, click the what the heck is it uh, button there. Uh, the new March-April game has just started. 12 people will win for the correct answer, but here's the deal. 24 win for the best cute answer. So it's yes. almost better not to be correct. You have a better chance of winning. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, you know, I also wanted to mention Alfred may run for president. So if people want to follow him on Twitter, he's Alfred E. Newman, N-E-U. M-A-N. He sent me an email that he may throw his baseball cap in the ring. So. It's a little premature. I mean, the election's not for another year and a half. Yeah, I know. He but knows I'm working that, right? on I'm working on his platform right now. <laughs> it's 8 by 12 and it's plywood and it's pretty nifty. Do you use a hammer with yeah. that? or, is, or is yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. A gavel. A ga- it's, it's, more, uh, <laughs> it's more political. Dick Bartolo, thank you. Hang in there. We're going to be right back to you and uh, and get our podcast going. The daily, weekly, daily Gizwiz, or the monthly, weekly, daily Gizwiz. We got the a new monthly, weekly, daily. <laughs> we got a new theme. I love too. By the way, have you heard yes, that? Yes, yes. Yeah. We have everything's new. Everything's but new. but it's going to sound really old. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> Dick, hang in there. We'll be right back. Okay. Meanwhile, I do want to mention uh, for our uh, our listeners at home, the great folks at Carbonite. We talk about backup all the time, but I got to tell you, the best backup has two features. 
One, it's automatic. If you have to think about it, it ain't going to. It's not going to happen. So it should just automatically. In fact, ideally, it shouldn't like automatically do it once a week. It should do it all the time, right? So you always have a backup. The other thing I think very important, it's off-site. See, it's, it's fine. It's good to have a backup that's sitting right next to the computer. But what if somebody breaks in and steals everything? Or there's a fire or the flood or an earthquake or a tsunami. I mean, then you lose the backups too, right? So you want the backup somewhere else. Maybe uh, even on the internet. That's what Carbonite does. Automatically in the background, it backs your data up to the Carbonite servers where it's accessible anytime. You don't even have to wait for a disaster. You just log into your Carbonite account and there's your data on any computer, including they have smartphone apps too, free. Carbonite is $55 a year for unlimited backup, all the personal data on your internal drive. But we have a two-week trial and I always encourage you to try before you buy. Go to C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E dot com. Use the offer code LEO. Two weeks free. You don't need a credit card or anything. Just my name, Leo. If you decide to buy the 12-month subscription, we'll add two months when you use my name, Leo. That's a pretty good deal. You got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with the best in the biz. Carbonite.com. Don't forget to use the offer code LEO. Uh, We were talking, let's see. To Jim in Irvine, thanks for your patience, Jim. You had a problem with, you 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 did an update and now it won't connect to Microsoft Updates. You're the second guy to call the show. And I just want to, I'll just pass along the same information to you, Jim, that I passed along to our previous caller. Microsoft has an, a tech support article that says how to reset this so that these updates will work. Now, if this doesn't work, then you might have to restore Windows. But let's try this first. So the way you get to this article is you go to Microsoft. I'm sorry, support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, dot Microsoft dot com. And there's a little search box, search Microsoft support, and just search for article number 971058. 971058, how do I reset Windows update components? The thing I like about this article is there's actually a big button that says fix it. You just press that button and it, and it will do all of the, I mean, there's a crazy number of steps you have to do here. To reset these these components to make it so that they can that you can continue on. So, this is my best advice. Um, and anybody who's got stuck updates, you really want those updates unstuck. You really need to be doing your updates for for security reasons. Don in Santa Monica, California. Hey, Don, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good afternoon, Leo. I'd like to make a comment and then a, a question. Indeed, go right ahead. On Munchcast, are they? They're not doing Munchcast anymore. That's our uh, food podcast. We are. Uh, we are not doing it. We had. We had difficulty scheduling it. I hope to bring it back though, because I loved doing that show. So, so keep watching. Yeah, I downloaded a lot of them and have them on my uh, iPod, and I listen to them at night, and I wake up laughing because you're <laughs> cheeseburger. So you. That's a vote. That's a vote to bring it back. Oh, I'll, I'll get ten votes. I'll have. I have listening to it. You, you know who loves you know who loves that show the guy who was uh, I'm a PC and the I'm a Mac ads John Hodgman and uh, and I feel like we really if we got a celebrity fan we really should do the show so I will try to bring it back it also won the best food podcast award last year so really we ought to bring it back uh, Cami Blackstone who hosts that is just fantastic so Don perfect together oh Don well I I appreciate the vote of confidence and uh, it's really a scheduling issue because I have so many shows that I do now. I do I do a dozen shows a week. I can't I I couldn't <laughs> I was just I was dying here. But uh but perhaps if I can uh, find some room in my schedule and hers we can do it. Real quick, 
Jerry Ellsworth. I watched a previous show that you did with her. I love that show. Is there any place I can find it to rewatch? Yeah, it should be in our Twit specials. It's also part of our Triangulation series. So if you go to twit.tv slash TRI. Thanks for the vote. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Have a great geek week. I'll see you next time.